welcome to another episode of Crackin' One Open with Mike and Elise. All right, and we're done. <laughs> <laughs> At three episodes in, I think we're doing pretty good. Uh, yeah. Yeah. All right. Sure. We've earned that. Bye. Break. <laughs> <laughs> so what are we cracking open tonight, baby? All right. Today we are cracking open Headway IPA from Counterweight Brewing in Connecticut. Hamden, right here in Hamden. Connecticut. Right around the corner. This is up there on my uh, list of IPAs, I think. I really like this one. Yeah. Extremely drinkable with all foods. Spoiler alert. We've had this one before. A lot. <laughs> Not too much, just enough. Drink responsibly. <laughs> All right, so let's crack it open. Crack it. Woo! Cut my nails. I can't open it. Oh, no. <laughs> I got it. All right, so as we mentioned before, Counterweight is right here in Hamden. Um, and this is probably, I, I would assume, one of their biggest beers in terms of popularity. It's one of the um, few that I've actually, I mean, it was one of the first counterweights that I saw out and about. Yeah. On tap at a lot of restaurants. It's an American IPA. It is 6.5% ABV, which is pretty nice. Um, and it comes in a, a tall boy can. So the, uh, the official description on the website is that it has a bright and juicy flavor that is uh, brought out from four American hops that are blended in the kettle during the dry hopping stages. What those hops are is kind of a mystery to me. I would love to know because this beer is fantastic, as we mentioned. Um, and I'm always curious what type of hop is in it. Um, but this particular beer was first recommended to me by a... Uh, a guy at our local package store who makes excellent suggestions. Uh, shout out. So this one is very similar to if you're familiar with it, which I'm a, <laughs> a lot of people are. Um, it's very similar to Sea Hag by New England Brewing Company. People in New England are used to that. Yeah, <laughs> true. Any West Coast fans? So we've actually been to Counterweight Brewery. We went this past winter. Um, it's a pretty neat place to hang out. They've got two kind of separate spaces for you to chill. One of them overlooks the whole brewing operation. They got games. They let you bring your dogs. That's the most important. That's thing. the selling point for him. That's that's the big that's the big sell for me. New Any England place Brewing Company also allows dogs. Props to breweries that allow dogs. Extra props to breweries that make doggy brews that your dogs can enjoy with you. True. So. I think this is kind of a tradition now where I read the description that's actually on the can itself. Yeah. So on the can for Headway IPA, it says an aromatic and flavorful IPA. Headway gets its pronounced aroma and juicy flavor from four different varieties of American hops. A backbone of blended malt lends rounded support to let its expressive hop character shine through. This inaugural beer should be consumed fresh in the company of friends. Pretty accurate, I'd say. So uh, what are we talking about today while we're chilling? Well, I've got some pop culture news. Ooh. So, sorry, Beetlejuice fans. Beetlejuice. It's showtime. The sequel seems to be officially on the shelf. Uh, a spokesperson for Warner Brothers Studios said in a statement to USA Today that the project is no longer in active development. Ooh. Although Beetlejuice goes to Hawaii, it sounded... Like an awful, like Weekend at Bernie's meets Beetlejuice. Yeah, exactly. We didn't want. So 
after the film was made back in 1988, it made $74 million, which I'm curious what the translation would be. I'm on it. Keep talking. I'll give you that answer. (laughs) At that point in time, the studio actually did green light Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian. Um, But the film never actually went into production. And then back in 2015, Winona Ryder even confirmed a Beetlejuice sequel on Late Night with Seth Meyers. But obviously nothing came of that. And then in 2017, Deadline. So they reported that a new screenwriter was hired to write a script like right in time for the film's 30th anniversary. But then again, nothing happened. So now with Dumbo being out in theaters, which reunites Tim Burton and Michael Keaton and the Beetlejuice uh, musical is opening on Broadway. Uh, later this month, April 25th, the topic of a sequel kind of resurfaced um, and they tried to address it with Tim Burton at a press conference, as well as Larry Wilson, who's one of the original screenwriters. And they basically squashed any hope of a sequel, saying that Tim Burton and Michael Keaton won't even think about it unless it somehow captures the lightning in a bottle type energy of the first film. So eh, kind of sounds more like they don't want to do it, which is fine. <laughs> I guess that's fair after all this time. But that does mean that uh, the idea is eternally stuck in the afterlife waiting room. But at least we don't have to hear a joke about Beetlejuice getting laid. The drunken head guy on the football team. Does he sit next to the football team? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> they still waiting to get in? <laughs> okay. I got your answer, by the way. Okay. All right. So 74 million, right? Mm-hmm. 1998 is actually. 1988. Yeah. 74 million in 1988. Oh, you said 98. I said, yeah. Oh, did I? Yeah. Well, you can cut that out. I'm an <laughs> idiot. $74 million in 1988 is worth $159,010,549.45. Ooh. In 2019. That is quite a bit of inflation. $74 million, even 1988, is a lot of money. $74 million for a low budget. Relatively unknown. Obscure horror comedy. That leans way more toward the comedy (laughs) that's not about vampires or ghosts. I mean, it's about ghosts, but they're not your typical ghosts. No, not by any means. Uh, That's a lot of money for some weird shit. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, that's super impressive. I mean, I watched, and this is unfortunate, the new Hellboy movie today. Mm -hmm. And that was made for, I think, $50 million. Okay. And that's a lot of that, that. That's a lot of money. They put a lot of effects into that. And this made 74 million. This could have made Hellboy today. Like, that's a lot of money if you think about it for True. 30 years ago. Yeah. That's impressive. Go Beetlejuice. Oh, yeah. So should we connect? Said the, that we'll never see get, it. Get a sequel. If they don't want to do it, if Tim Burton doesn't want to do it and Michael Keaton doesn't want to do it. What's the what's the point in doing it? True. If their heart's not in it. Exactly. It's like everyone complains that Bill Murray doesn't want to do Ghostbusters. It's like he might be right. Everyone complains about Ghostbusters 2 yeah. because it wasn't as good as Ghostbusters 1, but Ghostbusters Sequels 2. Sequels are never as good, though. Exactly. And Ghostbusters 2 wasn't bad by any stretch. It It's a good, enjoyable movie that yeah. still has a lot of good, funny bits. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't, like you said, the lightning in a bottle that the first one was. And it, it gets so much flack for that. And it's an enjoyable film. And they ruined the Ghostbusters franchise because people just were like, nah, I don't want it then. It's like it was still a solid movie. They gave you a solid sequel. Yeah. That's as why long you don't as it can three. stand on its own, I I would say that's a successful exactly. So sequel. I totally get why Bill Murray doesn't want to do it. And it, I think it's probably partly that is people shat on the sequel for no reason. Yeah. And also other reasons, you know, he didn't really get along great with Harold Ramis after Groundhog's Day and stuff. Ooh, uh, I'm going on, a, going on a tangent now. But <laughs> if your creator mm-hmm. and the guy who cre- basically created it, Beetlejuice is Michael Keaton, if they don't want to do it, 
no amount of money is going to get them to really put their heart and soul into them, into, into the characters. And you're just going to get something you didn't want to see. Yeah. And <laughs> so everyone's going to complain. Exactly. But uh, I think we should connect this scary story mm-hmm. with a, another scary story. Okay. So there was a trailer that came out the other week. Mm-hmm. Or a few days ago. I don't remember when. But uh <laughs> time blurs together now. Yeah, I told you not to watch the trailer because I want to see your reaction. Ah, yes. While we do the podcast. Uh so for those of you who don't know, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark is a book series of scary stories. Let me wait, wait, wait. Let me guess. To tell in the dark? Oh man, to tell to your children and give them nightmares. <laughs> The stories are scary and the artwork in the original novels is just nightmare fuel. absolute nightmare fuel. The drawings are by Stephen Gamble, I believe his name is. Uh, and God damn, they're <laughs> like the scary. I still remember. I mean, I remember all the covers. I mean, I'm looking at them now on the screen waiting to show you the trailer. We're looking at some of them. The big head with the the pipe. Yep. The kids in the, in the, uh, I the scary trees. Of of them. The faces that are all melted together. But the one that scared me the most, and you don't see it very often because it's not a cover picture, it's a picture in the book, Mm -hmm. is this giant skeleton head that still has some meat on it with these stick figure legs running after somebody on the through like an open field. And it it is very few things that are like creepy when I see them scared me as a kid. Mm -hmm. They usually scared me, you know, afterward, the more I thought about them too much. Exactly. This picture was absolutely completely terrifying even just looking at it and i mean it is great so (laughs) so many like the stories are spooky that that picture was ridiculous it just looked like the picture was going to eat me like it looked like the page of that book was going to come and kill me and most books back then even especially today Mm-hmm. coddle the children a little bit i'm not saying oh, it's yeah. good or bad you know i don't want to give them nightmares but things that are supposed to be scary to kids like they they pull their punches and this book mm-hmm. is one of the very few that never did and uh i think you're gonna like the trailer so i'm gonna play it for you all right here we go Ugh. oh no 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 oh that looks like a giant mind fuck Pimple spider. Oh, ugh. no, thank you. Pass. Uh, hard pass. I mean, ca- I'm going to watch it, but I hard pass on the spider in my cheek. You ever have that really tough pimple that just kind of moves around? You can't <laughs> seem to get get it straight to pop. Uh, I think it looks so good. The, the character designs, those creature designs are amazing. Yes, that is creepy as hell. And it's a kid's a kid's horror movie. Are you serious? That's not What's it rated. For, it's oh, I'm sure at least PG-13. I think that looks awesome. The character designs are amazing. They're straight out of the book. Thanks to Guillermo del Toro, I'm sure. Yep. I, I guess newer editions of Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark don't have the illustrations. They have newer illustrations that are far more toned down. Really? So thankfully they said, screw that. We're going with the original ones, which is what made the books successful, I think. Yeah. I mean, the scary absolutely. the scary stories were really good and scary, but it was the art, that creepy art that really did that. And I think- Thinking about the art style, mm-hmm. I mean, looking at those three book covers that I can see on the on the front of the screen, it is right now, very Guillermo. You know what it also reminds me of, and also might have something to do with, like um, Courage the Cowardly Dog. I wonder if Courage really oh, kind of wow. drew some of its imp- inspiration from the scary stories to tell in the dark. Yeah, covers. I can totally see that, right? I don't want to watch Courage the Cowardly. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's streaming. Oh, I know it's streaming. <laughs> Speaking of streaming. And here we go. Segway. It was so organic. I couldn't not. So yeah, speaking of streaming, 
Um, this weekend, da, 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 Childish Gambino slash Donald Glover. I, it's weird to me to refer to him as Childish Gambino. Anyway, he's Childish um, Gambino when he's the singer. He's Donald Glover when he's everything else. Yeah, but I don't know how to refer to him in this particular news story. So here it is. Uh, he and Rihanna are going to be starring in a new movie called Guava Island, um, which is going to premiere this weekend. And what's interesting is ads on Spotify last week teased the date of April 13th, which just so happens to be the date that Childish Gambino will be playing at Coachella. And it was confirmed just this morning that it will be streaming on Amazon uh, with a simulcast on the, the Coachella YouTube live stream, which it's kind of news to me that Coachella has a live stream just in general. <laughs> but it's going to launch globally at 12.01 Pacific time on Amazon, streaming free for 18 hours. So until 6 p.m. on Saturday. And it'll also start streaming on Twitch at 5 p.m. Pacific time, which is strange. Well, Twitch and Amazon are connected. So, I mean, Amazon bought Twitch. Yeah. Although... Yeah, putting it on Twitch is weird. Exactly. So I, I think this method of releasing it in and of itself is unique. I mean, it was barely advertised. The trailer is almost impossible to find. You know, what what have they spent on advert? They're basically relying, they're banking on the names of Donald Glover and Rihanna to sell this movie. But, you know, that's kind of Childish Gambino's MO, though, is to kind yeah. of be artsy. Like Childish Gambino is his more artsy version of himself. Mm -hmm. So I'm not surprised. But as well, like you were discussing before we started recording. And when you watch the trailer that looks like it was recorded on something that was recording the trailer. What the was it fuck staged? is this movie about? Exactly. It's very, very broad. It looks good. Mm -hmm. I think Donald Glover is, is, is a really good actor. I think he's he's got leading man quality. Absolutely. Um, I would have preferred a Lando movie to a Han Solo origin movie. <laughs> By the way, before I just want to say this about Donald Shout Glover. out to Community. Well, yes, Community. But I chose him as Lando Calrissian oh, four that years is... before he was cast as Lando Calrissian. When my buddy told me that Disney bought Star Wars, we were coming up with casting for the young version of characters. Yep. And I told him Donald Glover's Lando. It's true. So you're you're welcome, Donald. <laughs> <laughs> Got you that Disney money. It's my, it's I, I did it. So anyway, reining it back in, what is this film about? All we Basically, all we know is that they filmed for four weeks last year in Cuba. You said it's only an hour too, right? It's only an hour long. It's a, the most descriptive any website got is that it's a music-driven hour-long tropical thriller. What does it mean? Is it possibly a film like there maybe they're getting really gorillas on it maybe mm -hmm. it's a film version of an album they're both putting out together also oh. think about this when we saw donald glover do his snl mm -hmm. he dropped what he did two songs two songs that never one released them, one of them released as part of the summer pack mm -hmm. the other song the better song <laughs> i like both but yes it, it was the better song <laughs> uh i don't it's still not out so is That's that going to be featured in this? Is this going to be one big oh, that would be amazing. music video that does all of them? Kind of like um, the Garbage Island or whatever thing for Gorillaz mm -hmm. and all their other albums are are all kind of interactive media. Mm -hmm. So maybe Childish Gambino and Rihanna are kind of doing something similar in that thing, which would be pretty cool. That's possible. Um, it, it would make sense because it's it is being directed by and forgive me if I say this name wrong, uh, Hiro Mirai. Uh, who is a, a frequent collaborator with Donald Glover 
Um, he works on him with for Atlanta. Um, he's directed a, a few of his, of his music videos, including This Is America. And the film was written by Stephen Glover, his brother. Who he was partnered with for the now defunct Deadpool FX cartoon show. Oh, it's based on a story by Royalty, uh, which is a collective of artists that Donald Glover kind of works with a lot. So that, that I like that idea. Would be cool, but I guess we'll find out on Saturday or you guys will have already found out because this will go out after. Yeah. The video, so. <laughs> this past Saturday as we. Yeah. As you're listening to it. So it should be interesting, though. Now I'm excited. After it streams mm-hmm. live, is it still going to be available? But at cost. Or for Prime subscribers? That's my question. There, there's literally nothing about it. Interesting. All right, future Mike and Elise, it's up to you to find out. <laughs> no organic segue into the next one? No. You know what's always a great organic segue into the next one? Another, Another sip, sip of, of beer. Another sip of headway. There we go. Counterweight Brewery. Clink. Oh, it's my turn. It's your turn. Well. I just went. For those. I'm proud of you. Good for you. Did you flush? <laughs> See what it did there? You just went. Uh, sorry. Always with the poop jokes. Uh, bathroom humor. I, for those of you who don't know, am a huge fan of Star Trek. No. Yes, it's true. You don't say. Someone as amazingly handsome and just athletic as myself. <laughs> Am quite the Trekkie, ladies and gentlemen. And I have been watching. He's out of the closet, folks. That's right. I've been watching a ton of Star Trek Discovery, mm-hmm. which has, I believe, one episode left. Wow. Now in the season. And I got to it late because I was uh, caught up doing other stuff. So I think I was 10 episodes behind. Mm-hmm. And I caught up in two days. That is a level of binge that I will never achieve. You, uh, I can teach you the way. <laughs> <laughs> the dark art of binging. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but that's how good Star Trek Discovery is. It's, it is quick. It is, it picks up and it doesn't really stop. Everything they, they, they do in the show is in service to the story or the characters, which mm-hmm. is great. You know, a lot of shows have filler episodes, but Star Trek Discovery is pretty much just as many episodes as it needs to be. You know, this episode, I think they're 14 episodes. Last season, they were 13 episodes, but it's always a, a story arc mm-hmm. where season one and season two were. So it's not like your typical 22 episode run where you can tell around 14 yeah. and 15 that they're ready for a break. There's no like, all right, so the holodeck malfunctions, right? And then they get stuck in, <laughs> uh, get the Mad Libs. <laughs> no, it's, it's very, here's our story. Here's our plot line. And this plot line, season two for mm-hmm. discovery, there are signals that appear in space, deep space in, and these little red kind of signals start popping up and they're too patterned to be random. And the Discovery wants to figure what out what they're all about because the Enterprise has hijacked that. In season one, the Enterprise kind of comes to them for help. The captain of the Enterprise, who is Captain Christopher Pike, who people probably know now just from the um, newer Star Trek show. Yep. Or movies, rather. In the original series, he was the captain of the Enterprise for far more than the five minutes he was in the <laughs> movies. He was the captain of the Enterprise for like years before uh, Kirk came about and was Spock's. Spock was his first officer. Hmm. Captain Pike in the new series is played by Anson Mount, who I kind of remember from last year, the year before's Marvel, the Immortals show, which never really took off. Uh, he was the main yeah, guy in there who couldn't that. really talk. Uh, nobody did. 
Oh. It's fine. But he is he is fantastic as Christopher Pike. He has everything you want in like a Starfleet officer. He is like he's kind of a more refined Captain Kirk. Uh, Captain Kirk had Captain Picard's kind of stalwartness. Mm-hmm. And he takes over the Discovery to look for these red signals because Commander Spock has gone out there to figure it out. And he has escaped the mental institution. People think he went crazy. And Michael Burnham who's the main character of Star Trek Discovery, who for the first time the main character is not the captain. Mm-hmm. Or you could you can also make an argument that in all the other Star Treks it was an ensemble, they're an ensemble piece. But in this one, she's absolutely the, the main character and she is not the captain either. Hmm. She's a lieutenant. She is Box, her adopted sister. Okay. Uh, her parents were killed after Klingon raid on her planet. Or so she thinks. Dun, dun, dun. And she was adopted by, by Spock's parents. So she has kind of a personal stake in trying to find Spock, figuring out what these signals are, mm-hmm. which all relate to kind of time travel and this AI, the Starfleet AI that's kind of gone rogue. And the Starfleet AI actually wants to kill all organic life in the universe. Oh, snap. And does so, interestingly enough, by taking over different Starfleet officers' bodies. Oh. So uh, there's a lot of rumors like going twist. around. This control, which is what the AI is called, is actually the precursor to the Borg. Oh. Because no one really knows where the board came from. They just knew it was a computer control program that went out of control. Yeah. It was never said who it was. Everyone always assumed it was an alien. Maybe the seasonal end where it'll go to the far end of the galaxy and we won't see them for a couple hundred years when the next generation meets up with them. And they'll have the a, seeds. A, yeah, that bit evolved into the Borg, which makes sense as to why the Borg kind of become very obsessed with taking over humanity mm-hmm. and why a lot of the Borgs kind of look human other than the fact that they just don't have the money to put cybernetic and then alien parts <laughs> on all the Borg. But that would be really interesting. The season really moves. It's exciting. Dance Mount's great as Pike and all the characters are great. So I really like Saru, who's played by mm-hmm. uh, veteran creature character actor Doug Jones, who a lot of people probably know as Abe Sapien in the Hellboy films. He okay. also played the Labyrinth guy. She Shape played the fish creature in Shape of Water. Uh, so he's he's really great at huge prosthetic makeup effects and really like, bringing a character bringing to a life character through, in, through in a movement. super restricted. Yeah, right. So he was wearing he's he's like seven foot something with these horse <laughs> hoof type feet. Mm-hmm. His prosthetics on his face make him almost expressionless. And he walks kind of like with this kind of like flowing kind of gait. And yet he's a great character and he's kind of in line. He's the commander of the ship. He's in line kind of to be the captain mm-hmm. uh, and at times does take control of the ship. He uh, starts the season. Uh, he started the series kind of nervous all the time. He has these things called threat ganglia that his species have because they're not the the predator species on their planet. They're actually one of two intelligent species from their planet. So they're always eaten and hunted down. So these threat ganglia make him always nervous. They always pop up when something's happening and he makes these <laughs> these choices that are a little more cautious than anything else in season two he gets sick in order to save his life he has to have them removed so now he's kind of making these braver choices and he's becoming a much more interesting character the show is just really interesting it's really intricate but not in a not in a totally like you can't just pick up the beginning of season two and watch it i would watch it from the beginning just yeah. because it is a good show. The uh, effects are really good. It's on CBS All Access, so you do have to pay to watch. It's not a television show, but womp it allows womp. them to kind of swear a little bit more, maybe be a little more violent. Mm-hmm. I'm okay with them not swearing, though, because they do tend to... It feels forced. They try to throw the word bullshit once an episode just because they can. <laughs> and <laughs> Like a middle schooler who just learned to swear. Exactly. It's like you don't have to say it every time, and you're on... You're a paid network now. You you can say other we're, we're, there's other more swears. Yeah. You can say try some sh- new ones. Try just shit or god damn it or anything. Anything. Just throw but, a couple words together. See yeah. see what sticks. Don't say bullshit or maybe just skip a swear an episode. I don't know. Yeah. 
Uh, they do say the F word uh, in season one during like the second episode, I think, just to kind of hammer home that like, hey, hey. <laughs> we can swear now, <laughs> which is similar to uh, I always think of Data in Star Trek Generations, the first Next Generation movie that came out mm-hmm. because Data gets his emotion chip. So it's weird to hear him swear at all. But also now that they're in a movie, they can and a PG-13, they can swear in the next generation. So as the cr- enterprise is crashing, Data just goes, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like that's what they're trying to capture every time they say it, which gets a little annoying. But yeah. other than that, the show is fantastic. Uh, what's also awesome is as a Trekkie. If you watch the show, you know what happens to his character later on in the original Star Trek, which is very not good. Um, But they still make you really feel for the character. Right. He's like, oh, man, he's a really good captain. And I mean, what happens to him happens further along the line in the Mm -hmm. future of the show. So he can definitely keep reappearing on the show every once in a while. But it's like it's what I thought was interesting is he gets a taste of his future in one of the latest episodes. Oh, and Uh he has the chance to change it, but chooses not to. Because he wants, if he changes it, it changes what happens to Starfleet. And exactly. he's such a good Starfleet officer that he has his his line, which I think is a great line, is I won't or I won't betray the things I love about Starfleet for just because of a future I didn't foresee for myself. And his future that's really is good. bad. It's like worse than death bad. So I think that's a really, it's a really brave choice. It really makes him this, this hero that you really didn't know he was. You always knew that yeah. Spock looked up to him, but you never really knew why why he was and it's also explained because you never see the enterprise in the Klingon war in season one mm-hmm. why the enterprise which is their flagship their most powerful ship in the fleet wasn't part of the war and in season one another great moment is he gets really mad at one of the admirals because she kind of holds him back again and everyone kind of blames the enterprise for not being part of the war like he, they could have done more mm-hmm. and they were on their their mission of exploration in deep space he gets really mad says, is that what you're doing you're holding me back again maybe you're working with control maybe you're the enemy and she says or maybe we thought that if something happened to starfleet we wanted the best of us to still be out there the best of us to carry on our message the best captain the best ship and the best crew and it kind of shuts him up and he goes, oh, that's why. Oh, well, thank you. All right. <laughs> and he kind of shuts up and embarrassing goes back. And it's like, that's how important Christopher Pike is to the Federation. And I thought that was really good. And he plays it so great. And you can tell he's just a fan of Star Trek. And it really plays into his character. Michael Burnham um, is a fantastic character played by Sonequa Martin-Green, who is the main character of the show. She is fantastic. She plays her character strong, but still emotional. She's very interesting because she's a human mm-hmm. who raised on Vulcan at like seven years old. And then okay, kind of, so this is the one character that I actually know from watching it with you? Yes, because she's on all the scenes. Yeah, yeah, she's really good. I mean, the amount of time she cries on cue is amazing. I'm all, I always respect actors that can legit cry, but she can get angry. She's just logical. She's She always tries to find the right choice and her right acting balance. is something, yeah. The the amount of, of real like powerful acting that comes out of her is something that really I don't think we anyone has really ever seen in like a Star Trek. Mm-hmm. And I think that's great and really adds kind of almost a film like quality to the show because of the talent involved. And she kind of she because this is not a ensemble, mm-hmm. the focus is on her. She really does carry the weight of this mega franchise, one of the oldest television franchises oh, yeah. still around on her shoulders, which is super impressive. So we can probably look forward to uh, some good stuff from her after she moves on from the show. Well, it's only season two, so I'm hoping for a lot more show. Well, but yes. obviously, yeah. Uh, I, I don't really watch it. Neither of us really watch it, but I guess she was on The Walking Dead beforehand as well. Okay. Uh, so she definitely does other stuff. I guess she was good enough in that that she got this job. So 
She's definitely something like if she's in something, I will definitely probably watch it because that's how good she is. Yeah. Like just her being in it means I would go like, oh, I got to watch that. But yeah, yeah. Star yeah, Trek that Discovery. For itself. CBS All Access. It's worth the $6 a month, especially now that Twilight Zone's up on it. So now <laughs> there's two shows that are definitely worth streaming. Season two is about to end, but you can still stream season one and two on the show. If you're an international view listener, which I don't know if we have any of those yet, but I don't that'd know. be cool. Have, this is our third episode. So after this, we'll get stats and we can tell who our fans are. So yeah, if you are an international listener, you can watch Star Trek Discovery on Netflix. It's available on Netflix and international. Watch it. It's already been renewed for season three. I'm excited for it. Star Trek. I love Star Trek. That is all. That's all I got. (laughs) What do you got? Well, my review for this week is going to be about The Act, which is on Hulu. It stars Patricia Arquette and Joey King as Dee Dee and Gypsy Rose Blanchard. Um, And for those who love true crime like I do, I've always been a sucker for a murder mystery. Screw romance novels. Even (laughs) even as a, you know, teenager, I don't need the the YA stuff, you know. No, no Animorphs for uh, young Elise? Um, no, I actually, I, I did have Animorphs, but I wasn't reading about, you know, give me, give me the goosebumps. Give me the, uh, Nancy Drew. Give me, give me, yeah, give me some interesting, give me even like boxcar children was more interesting than that. Um, so do yourself a favor, whether you watch it before or after the act, um, mommy dead and dearest is on HBO go or HBO just <laughs> But that is the documentary, which I think serves as a really good background going into the show. Oh, man. For the first time, I realized what show you're talking about on Hulu. The posters that have been on Hulu this whole time. I'm going to say, okay, okay. (laughs) (laughs) You can continue. (laughs) But if you want to go into it without any expectations, um, definitely watch it after for the facts, which I'll get to it. But they do a really good job of sticking fairly true to the facts for because the story's fucked up enough. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so if, if you're not familiar with this case, it's one of those things that you you cannot make this shit up. It's a case of Munchausen by proxy and murder. Um, and as a result, this poor girl spent a very large part of her life enduring completely unnecessary medical treatments and surgeries. So Dee Dee, the mother, was able to deceive doctors and hospitals, charity foundations like Habitat for Humanity and Make-A-Wish and even their quote unquote friends that they made. And what kept these lies going is that she had a different specialist for every ailment that she invented for Gypsy Rose and they moved around so no one could really keep track. They they were moving when Katrina happened. So she was able to claim that you know, documents and records were lost when people were looking for any record of of her illnesses, quote unquote. And she managed to to fabricate these lies and convince everyone, including Gypsy. And that this is it's insane that she had seizures and muscular dystrophy and a chromosomal disorder, a sugar allergy, and the the list goes on. And Gypsy had no idea for like through her childhood that she didn't have a sugar allergy or a condition with her esophagus that forced her to take all of her meals through a feeding tube, um, that her hair could actually grow, that her mom didn't need to shave her head weekly just to keep it looking, uh, you know, neat or whatever. But the thing that I can't wrap my head around is that 
Gypsy was convinced that she was actually like five years younger than her actual physical age, her birthday. And spoiler, she can walk. How do you go through life like that? I, it boggles my mind. But like I said, they, they did manage to stick fairly close to the facts of the case, at least as far as episode two goes. As of right now, I think there are only three or four out of the total eight episodes. Those are forthcoming. And Patricia Arquette is legit scary as Dee Dee. She is, you see these different sides of her from, she goes from this artificially sweet, like overbearing caretaker to this manipulative, conniving, like you can see the wheels turning, creating the next string in her web of lies. And Joey King is really good too. At this point, really on in the show, it's just, it's painful to 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 watch her start to come to the realization that maybe her mother isn't this wonderful person this person who should be up on a pedestal you know she's maybe she's being lied to her feelings are being invalidated and suppressed and she's just being cheated out of a normal childhood that being said the show definitely does over dramatize some things but that that's inevitable you got to make it interesting chloe savaney is a uh, supporting character in the show she is a fictional character named mel but i i understand why they're there they're necessary to to move it along she's the impetus for the story because it, it is only eight episodes so things really need to do to happen fast and she's one of the first people to really question Dee Dee's morals and and actions overall definitely worth a watch like i said if you're a fan of true crime it's a must see <laughs> who plays the um who plays the eventual boyfriend um so i am not terribly familiar with this actor uh callum callum worthy it looks like he uh was on american vandal and austin and alley for any disney channel fans out there <laughs> yeah uh was he on the old mouse tracks tv show no, no. Then, then it's not relevant. No, to I us. don't know exactly. <laughs> um, that or Alice in Wonderland, circa nineteen ninety one. Yeah, so I, I really can't speak to his acting ability or character as of yet. But I'm definitely going to update on this show because I'm obsessed. Cool, cool story, bro. Cool, 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 cool. For those of you who don't know, uh, Mike is not quite the the uh, murder murder fan that I am. Except I think life sucks enough. I'd rather be in space. <laughs> space. Want to go to space. Want to go to space. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I think that's what we got for you guys today on Cracking and Open. I think we're both almost done with our beer. Yeah. So I think it's time to uh, plug some stuff. Baby, why don't you plug, uh, why don't you plug some Cracking and Open? Tell them, tell them where to go. <laughs> tell them what to do. Thanks for joining us this week. And if you liked what you heard, subscribe. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Kraken One Open. You should also check out my other podcast, Two Player Bros, a podcast by two brothers who play way too many video games, where my brother Alex and I discuss all things video game related, and Forgotten Cinema with my buddy Mike Field, where we talk about films that, for whatever reason, seem to have been forgotten by most people. We talk about why we remember enjoying them, maybe what caused them to be forgotten in the first place, and whether or not it deserves a second shot. And a special thanks for our theme, composed and performed by Joe Reichert. Till next time. Cheers. Cheers.